You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul continues his discussion of itinerant words with a review of the particulars of Hebrew. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Let me move directly to the heart of the matter. And I would like you to hear me very carefully. You heard me several times, but this time it has to be etched in fire in your brains. In the Semitic languages, we have no upper cases. You know my joke. I love Arabic because God and I are equal. There is no upper case and lower case. And those who know German know the importance that is given to the uppercase. Everything is uppercase. That's the way it is. Well, in the Semitic languages, we do not have uppercases. Try to write your Bible without uppercases and then read it. But this is not enough. What is more important which is extremely hard to explain to the people influenced by Greek philosophy of the being. And you know, I spend a lot of time in my book to speak about that, based on the verb is. Usia is from the verb to be is. Because in most European languages, we know, and in Greek, In Latin, it goes both ways. That's why I like Latin. We have what we call nominal phrases. And with time, you learn that the Russians speak like this. They don't use is. So it's not something that, oh, it's silly. And so it doesn't matter. That's the way the language works. In the Semitic languages... The nominal phrase is, to use Plato, of the essence. That's the first chapter in all respectable Hebrew grammar books. Already Richard is smiling at me. When he smiles at me, that's very serious. It's the first chapter because without it, you may not continue. Because... The author gives you an example. The book, big, and you're looking for the is. Well, there is no is, and this is how it makes sense. Now, let me go further and challenge you and even scandalize you. I mean, what is Father Paul if he does not scandalize the people? Let's go for the Arabic, where, again, we don't have uppercase. And you hear either Karim Allah or Allah Karim. Allah Karim, you may have less of a problem in that. It means 
God is generous. But if you hear Kareem Allah, it could mean generous is God, but it could mean the person named Kareem is God. People say, well, this is too much if it is not clear. No, it's the context that gives you the clarity. And as you know, my hearers, this applies to all languages, but we will be losing your time for me to give you a specific example in each language. It is the context. The same thing applies in English to names, victor or hope, that have meanings. Okay? So, again, I'm inviting you. Don't think, I hope, you would not start while listening to my podcast, throwing up your thumbs and so No, 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 no. That's just the beginning. It's for you to realize that it is simple but not simplistic. Everything comes from the context. Now let me push my case where I shall go back to that momentarily that in the Semitic languages technically we don't have vowels. Vowels were created by the Greeks. So how do you read in the Middle East whether Israel or the Arab countries, the newspapers. How come everybody reads them and understand? And more importantly, can you imagine you have a traffic sign telling you something without vowels? (laughs) You can't stop the traffic to open your Google translator. People understand that. So that's the point we have to remember. The way you in America scandalized me the first year when I heard someone saying, sorry, Father Paul, but I need to hit the road. When he left, I asked all the others, why would he need to hit the road? (laughs) (laughs) And it took them time to explain to me. And I'm not dumb, I understand very quickly, but it took me time to figure out why would one hit the road? But then it's part of the language. So let's ease into what you are hearing me saying, whether you are hearing me correctly or not, it doesn't matter. With time, we can correct all that. But I'm asking you to put a serious effort to understand that. Let me go to Greek and Latin that are two old languages. Obviously, they took their alphabet from the Semitic languages, otherwise you can't explain K-L-M-N-Q-R-S-T and you can't explain that you have two sounds for K in Latin, K and Q and so on. But let me not go into that. I don't want to belittle too much Greek and Latin because many people will be irked by that. But notice the difference. I just told you earlier that Latin doesn't like the is as much as Greek likes it. Latin likes it less. But you have another feature in Greek that before the personal nouns, 
you have the definite article. In Latin, you don't have a definite article. Now, to sit down and philosophize all these things, it's silly. But then, my dig against the Greeks is that if you put the definite article, why do you need the capital letter at the beginning of the name? <laughs> See, and we can play on that. But I'm not here to analyze Greek or Latin, although I use them in my book because these are two of the oldest translations. Very important, helps me to understand what the people did with that. But really to go back to these data of Semitic languages. Let me revisit, because it's very important, that in Semitic languages, all the alphabetical letters are consonants. There are no vowels. What we refer to as vowels that give the sound are referred to as vocalic sound from vocal or diacritic sounds to differentiate from the verb diacrino to discern. Like in Hebrew, you have the same letter that has two sounds depending on whether the dot above it is to the right or to the left is the sheen and the seen. That's why between Hebrew and Arabic, you have a going back and forth between these two letters. The classic example is meat or flesh is basar in Hebrew and bashar in Arabic. Okay, so it's the way it is. But again, I'm mentioning examples to overwhelm you, to draw your attention that you have to make an effort to understand what I'm saying. Vocalization was introduced later in the 7th century, and I'm going to repeat this three times. In the 7th century A.D., the vocalization of the famous Hebrew Old Testament. Ask any Jew, they know that, or those who are responsible. So there were no vowels. Thus, the conclusion is the Masoretic text, which is the text that was produced or vocalized by the Masorites. Mas the word Masorit, it's a person that used the Mesora, the measure. We still have it sound-wise in English. It puts measures for you. And here I must refer to the work of the great Mitchell Dahoud. He's an American from Montana of Lebanese descent who became a Jesuit priest, and he became the top man of Ugaritic literature and language at the Pontifical Institute in Rome. Major person. And he wrote three books, commentary on Psalms, and I like that, and I'm inviting all of you, you don't need to buy it, you'll be frustrated, just go to a library and find them. In the first volume, Psalms 1 through 50, he says, 
Friends, I have bad news for you, meaning the Roman Catholics. The Vulgate is no reference as to what the Old Testament is saying, at least in Psalms. So the Orthodox get really riled up until they are hit by the intro to the second volume, where Mitchell Dahoud says, well, what I said to, about the Vulgate applies also to the Septuagint. No way. So the Jews are very excited. They put their two major opponents on the defensive. Until you start the third volume, Psalms 101 to 150, where he says, notice, he didn't say the Hebrew text, he said the Masoretic text, meaning that includes the vowels, are no reference. Because most of the time, and he says it, they didn't understand what the original said. And the real thing that irritates people is that he said, to understand it, you have to know Ugaritic. Now, who knows Ugaritic besides Mitchell Dahoud or as well as Mitchell Dahoud? Now, listeners, please make a note of that because Ugaritic and the full language, and we have translated the Ugaritic texts, but the way we found them are just consonantal. That's very interesting. I'm not talking about a Syrian or Egyptian or a Lebanese newspaper of the 21st century. I'm talking about a text, very ancient, only consonants, and it was translated, which means you can. But then what is the conclusion? Is that words that include sounds... are not functional except in a context. And here let me take an aside to tease my fellow Orthodox. You know, I mean, they are my family. I can afford to attack them now and then. Otherwise, if I do that with the others, I'm not saying the others are better than the Orthodox. No, I'm happy to be Orthodox. It's just, you know, it's more politically correct <laughs> to address yours. When they get excited... There are people who send me emails signing Reader Jacob. <laughs> the reader. It's a big deal. The bishop blessed me. And they make a differentiation between the hierotonia and hierotesia. And so the Orthodox understand that it's not the same level as a deacon or a priestess. Come on, you're a big joke. How could you be a reader? When any time on Sunday in the U.S., if your reader is not there, you call anyone and you shove the text in his face and that person starts reading because you can do it. Now, you can do this in Arabic and in Hebrew <laughs> because unless you have spent the night figuring out how to read aloud this text, you cannot do it. So the readers did not genuflex and attend Vespers Saturday night and said their prayers and went to confession. No! 
the readers had to stay home to prepare to read the text. Because the Holy Spirit cannot help them on Sunday morning if they do not know what they are reading. So please, let's remember that. And here I can only say we shall see the value of this statement by Mitchell Dahoud when we shall deal with the first word of scripture in the beginning. What does it mean? Oh, it's very clear. Well, I don't know about that. Even in English, it's not very clear. How do I know that? I'll bring you to professors of philosophy and I'll have them discuss for three hours about the beginning. It's not that clear. But here, I'm not talking philosophy, I'm talking language. So be patient and bear with me. Let me say a few words about the itinerary or the trek or the story of words, especially within the same book, are very important in order to figure out the function, value, and thus meaning of the word. Notice the sequence in my presentation. The function, the value, you know, they are words more important than others. But how do you guess that unless you read the entire book? And only thirdly, you figure out what the meaning is from the text. So that's why there is a very interesting example by our colleague here, Richard Benton, which he mentioned to us just before we started. We are drinking coffee. I've heard the stories many times from him, and I love to hear it again and again. His professor has a PhD in ancient Near Eastern languages, and his professor would ask the students specifically at this time, Richard, and said, well, why did you translate this word like that? <laughs> and Richard, like a very good student, said, well, I used the dictionary of so-and-so. <laughs> and then the professor told him, and who tells you that he's right? <laughs> Most probably he meant that he's probably wrong, but let's be politically correct. Who tells you that he's right? And I'm going to come an example later that really enhances the importance of going to the original. But what I said about the function, value, and meaning of a given word applies to the original, let alone the translations, where you have really to guess things. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.